during every playoff game, I've always kept score. Oh, nice. And my kids, if I was in the middle of working, my kids would keep the book for me because um, I taught them how to keep score. And so I, I have these great memories. I have these. I have a score book from every single playoff from 2010, 2012, oh, and 2014 nice. that show you know that shows yeah. every pitch. And, um, did you bother in 2016? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> That was San Francisco Giants Executive Vice President of Communications, Stacy Slaughter. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, we bring you bartenders, musicians, photographers, and other San Franciscans talking about living, working, and doing their thing here. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. Welcome to episode 44, part two. In this podcast, Stacy talks about the opening of Pac Bell Park as it was known back in 2000. The ballpark is in its 19th season now and has already hosted an all-star game and four World Series. Here's Stacy. So 97, that was definitely one of my favorite. Um, you know, I think building, building the ballpark, you, you only get so many opportunities to be a part of a once-in-a-lifetime right. experience. And the... Being there kind of early on, not necessarily at the minute they planned the ballpark, but from the campaign all the way through to the dedication of Willie Mays Plaza in um, in 2000, um, it, that for me has been just an incredible journey. And to you know be here when we broke ground, and then to see home plate because that's the, when you may not know this, but when you build a ballpark, the very first thing they put in is home plate mm-hmm. because from that everything else gets anchored. Right. Um, and then to, I remember we had, um, we had a, before we had our first regular season game, we did a couple exhibition games just to kind of work out the kinks and it's kind of common with new facilities. So we had, I guess it was the Brewers in town. And I remember we had dedicated Willie Mays Plaza that day and we had a big party for Willie and we unveiled the Willie Mays statue and I was pregnant with my first child. So I went home to take a rest and then I was coming back to the ballpark because I knew it was going to be a late night. And I and I stepped foot into the ballpark and I looked at, and there were 40,000 people in the ballpark. Now, keep in mind, for two and a half years, I've been walking around a ballpark where there there would be construction workers, but not a full house. And we all kind of looked around like, who are all these people at our ballpark? <laughs> and it was just, and there were so many, you know, the scoreboard wasn't working. It was dusty. There were all these things. And, I, and we had this kind of post-game meeting with Larry Bear and all the other executives. And we sat around and said, okay, what are all the things that we need to fix before we open the ballpark in a couple of weeks? Fortunately, we had a two-week road trip before we opened. Um, And, you know, we put up signs that said, pardon our dust while we, you know, prepare for the grand opening. And and then the next night, the Yankees came into town. And it was a, it just happened to be one of those beautiful, warm spring days in San Francisco. Um, But that was a pretty magical time just to kind of see all the plans actually become a reality and I think for the fans and really for the organization the design we had seen the pretty pictures we had seen the renderings we had seen the designs but then to see that finished product and it really exceeded all of our oh, expectations right um and to see the players when they first walked to the field they're like oh my god we had this day where we had Barry Bonds come out to see the park and we hadn't put the turf in or anything and it was the field was in place but there was no grass it was just dirt and he, we had batting practice, 
and it was just kind of a fun activity. And there were all these construction workers out there with their hard hats and their baseball gloves, and they were just catching, <laughs> you know, catching BP or catching yeah. fly balls um, while the players were taking BP. Was um, that Bonds's first time to come here and hit? He had come, no, f- definitely first time to hit. We had him on the groundbreaking when there were still warehouses. We had him on top of a warehouse for the final. So we like kind of turned the shovel, you know, of dirt over with Willie, and we announced that day that it was going to be 24 Willie Mays Plaza. And and then we had Bonds and Sean Estes go to the top of this warehouse that, that was along the waterfront, and we had Sean pitch to Bonds. They were both in a suit, and Barry hit the very first splash hit. Nice. Um, so, But in terms of, yeah, actually coming and taking, taking BP, BP on a dirt field. <laughs> I love yeah. that visual of the guys uh, out there in oh, hard hats with gloves. they were falling all over each other. They were so happy. And then... Um, we had another day when the first day that we brought the sod in, it was the grass was being grown in the delta, and it was coming in on these flatbed trucks, and then they roll out the sod. So everything we did here was a media event because people were so excited about the opening of the first seat, the first this. So we said, okay, we're going to roll out the first you know, roll of grass. Well, we get all the media out here, and there's an overturned truck on one of the highways, and so the sod delivery is probably four hours delayed. So I said to Larry, I said, give me your credit card. I'm ordering pizza. <laughs> let's keep, let's feed the media. And so we had a big pizza party. And then finally the truck showed up and they rolled out the first grass. And then they continued, you know, to roll out the grass. And it was literally like we had people watching grass grow here. But it was the excitement in the community was just in the media. They were so excited to, because this has been, you know, it had been, since the 1960s, they were trying to come up with a ballpark solution right. because they figured once they realized Candlestick was untenable, it just took yeah. a long time to be built. So. Yeah, and here it is yeah. actually coming together. Exactly. You know, it's interesting to kind of see over the decades the evolution of the team. And, you know, we've been to um, four World Series as long as I've been with the team and, and two before that. And, um, you know, everyone has its own set of memories and, and moments. Um, I think, you know, obviously winning our very first World Series for the fans. And, and we were on the road every time we clinched a playoff round. And so it was we felt like we were in a bubble because I was traveling with the team. And we and, and you didn't really know what was going on in San Francisco. Like when we clinched against the Phillies in 2010 or the NLCS, we had no idea there was a party going on in San Francisco because we had, we literally were at the ballpark and everyone's booing us and, in Philly because those fans are oh so lovely. And we, you know, had a little celebration in our clubhouse and then we went back to the hotel and there was a celebration there. But then everyone got up in the morning, we got on a plane and we flew home and you saw just the outpouring of fans when we got back to the ballpark and it was just this huge party and the same thing when we won the world series in texas we had no idea you know what was going on in san francisco people would send us photos and stuff but we were completely in the dark and so um on the day of the parade when we you know we had all been up for 48 hours um planning the parade and figuring out mm-hmm. what we needed to do in the program and everything and and to be right on montgomery street at the start of the parade and to see the fans and a million fans come out in force i think it, that is the moment where so many of us got really emotional and yeah. our players and our man i mean because all of a sudden it was like oh okay now i get it because we had been in this bubble for every single time except for when we clinched here um for the nlcs both um 
during that really crazy rainy day when, oh uh, scudero in scudero in 2012 yeah. and then again in 2014 when ishikawa um but that very first world series i think is so special for yeah. the fans and i think for our organization too because it really put us on the map as an organization but then we were able to take the trophy on a tour in 2010? In 2010. Well, after the 2010 season, yeah, in January, we launched a, a 30-city trophy that. tour. We did it in subsequent years, too. Yeah. And, and and just to see the generations of fans come and pay tribute to the trophy. We even we took the trophy to New York, and when we were planning that, we had no idea what to expect. Like, will anybody show up? I mean, we had a little fan club back there, but we had no idea. And so we asked Willie Mays to come with us, and Buster Posey was getting the Rookie of the Year. So we all... In mass went back to New York we had 5,000 people show up in the middle of Manhattan on a rainy cold Saturday to see the trophy yep and people were bringing their parents old baseball hats and putting them next to the trophy and taking a picture who were Giants fans who had grown up Giants fans because of their parents Mm -hmm. so it was that generational thing I think is so special and to see I always joke with my kids now because they have grown up in this ridiculous era of sports in the Bay Area speaking of bubbles oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. I'm like they never went to Candlestick Park because right. they were born right when the right. you know and and they you know they were too young to remember the 02 heartbreak and so you know they were at the perfect age for 2010 12 and 14 and then to see the Warriors having their success and oh throw in a 49ers you know war uh Super Bowl and oh yeah there was a Stanley Cup with it I mean I'm like you guys don't realize you know <laughs> the drought the drought yeah, yeah. there were drought at least they follow Cal football so at least that's good so, <laughs> you know but it's you know to see that this next generation of fans is really really cool yeah um, and kind of going back to circling full circle when I um during every playoff game I've always kept score Oh, nice. And my kids, if I was in the middle of working, my kids would keep the book for me because um, nice. I taught them how to keep score. And so I, I have these great memories. I have these. I have a score book from every single playoff from 2010, 2012, oh, and 2014 nice. that show, you know, that shows yeah. every pitch. And um, Did you bother in 2016? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, I'm still yeah. bitter about that, but I that know. was that was an that amazing was- that was a hard the wild card. And then, I yeah, mean, it was so incredible. And like, we could have easily won one of those games in Chicago. And yeah. then just, cause I think everyone was like, okay, we're going to win, you know, game four. And then we're going to go to Chicago and we're going to, you know, and it's going to be a duel between Johnny Cueto and, yeah. and, and then all of a sudden it just unravels. Yeah. And my Larry bear, it was, um, it was, uh, Cole Nidre. And so it was Yom Kippur the next day. Mm-hmm. So Larry was in synagogue. Oh, he had no idea what had happened. Because you he blame him then? <laughs> yeah. He had gone into synagogue at eight o'clock. He was like, "Okay, we're up we're, we're five gonna... runs. We're going to be fine," you know. And then he turned off his phone. And then, sure enough, as he's walking out of synagogue, someone who had not turned off his phone told him, mm. you know, said, "I'm really sorry." And Larry's like, "What happened?" And he called me. He's like, "What happened?" Yeah, I'm like it just. I was here for game three, which was that that miraculous. It's the first time and still the only time that um, uh, I've walked out of a game. I lost my voice. Yeah, that was such a great game. That was incredible. And yeah. and and it felt like when game 4 started that momentum from game shifted. 3 and it yes, just and exactly. I remember uh reading or seeing a quote from Joe Madden saying he yeah. didn't want to go back to he Chicago not, no, to face he Cueto. He did not want to face Cueto and yep. and you do like you have that momentum. I mean, it's like when, in 2012 when we went to Cincinnati down 02 
and you could and we were all getting on the bus going oh my god why are we doing this is just yeah. not gonna happen and then and i remember died. a lot of at least at least we have 2010 yeah exactly 20, that feeling. yeah and people like hey we went to the playoffs good season you know but then these expectations <laughs> continue to get raised and yeah. you know and then 2014 you know bumgarner doing what he did in <laughs> pittsburgh and i was at that wildcard game and i was um sitting with some of the players wives one of whom was was Bumgarner's wife and you know and it was just and it was like they had Pittsburgh they said it was a blackout and so everyone wore black for the Pirates and it was so loud and Bum was pitching amazingly and then Crawford hit the Grand Slam and you could hear a pin drop in that stadium and that is one of my all-time favorite ballparks by the way it is amazing and so but then you could kind of feel the momentum shift and we were able to you know go on and um but yeah, it's it also does show you it it's it's one thing to get to the playoffs and it's hard to get to the playoffs in baseball. Um, but it's another thing. It's so hard to advance beyond. It's mm-hmm. so much harder than some other sports for sure. It's just it's such a grind and mm-hmm. you just never know. You know, like one game play in for the wild card and you've got, you know, the best out of five for a divisional. It's things can happen on a dime. Yeah, and it's uh it speaks to that um well, that I, I, you know, I've, I've uh, I think it was the Ken Burns documentary about baseball that talked about, you know, the uh, the hitters you remember are the ones who get one out of every three. Right. Exactly. It's Which such a think, complicated not that, game. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. And and especially in those playoff moments, like thinking back to 2010 with Cody yeah. Ross and oh yeah. Uh, and then you know the Crawford thing. Yeah. It's like and the you never know when heroes. these things. Are... Yeah, Connor um, Gillespie. Gillespie. When we, I yeah. have that shirt literally, <laughs> Connor Gillespie. Yeah, I mean, after you just never know who's mm-hmm. gonna step up, mm-hmm. and um, and that's what's I think so magical and unpredictable about the game. And you know, and it also depends on what pitcher you're facing. Like every game is different. It's not the same. Unlike basketball, where it's generally the same five or six, seven guys out there. It's one individual cannot influence a game unless you have a dominant pitcher, obviously. But generally speaking, it's really hard to have that type of global influence. And it's going to be a different pitcher the next day. Yeah, exactly. Just the nature of the game. Totally yeah. nature of the game. Yeah. Could be a lefty, could be a righty, yeah. could, you know, and how you see. And so it, it's, there's so many different calculations that have to go. And, you know, obviously, Boach is the master of that and trying to, you know, to play those matchups. But, you know, I mean, like in the game four, we were, we had the shift on because, and then the ball gets through, you know, so it's like, you just never know. You could do one little thing here and there and one bad pitch or one good pitch. (laughs) So It's been incredible to watch the fan support literally from when we were trying to save the team in 1992 and before that, obviously. And, you know, now that the, t- you know, the fans, obviously they get frustrated and they're really high expectations. Um, Don't listen to KMBR but, yeah, call, exactly. call shows. No yeah. offense to Marty Lurie, love him. but But it's, it shows the true passion of, um, of the fan base and they're incredibly knowledgeable and they understand, you know, the nuances of the game. Um, we had an event out here on Saturday for our season ticket members where we had about 5,000 of them on the field post game. Thank God we won that game. <laughs> um, but we had all of our players out there serving beer and serving hot dogs and ice cream. And we did some interviews with them. And I think everyone had this really lovely post game experience, um, kind of interacting with each other and really kind of showing the continuity and the connects cohesiveness of the of the whole Giants family. Yeah.
Check back next week to hear from Kevin DeMattia, one of the owners of Benders and Emperor Norton's Boozland. Music for this episode is by Joe Begale. Follow Storied San Francisco on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go check out our store, where you can buy shirts, hats, and koozies that were designed and screen printed in San Francisco. The store is up on our website, storiedsf.com. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Send comments and suggestions to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>